All righty. So we are officially live again. Um, so welcome to our first uh, live author reading of the day. I don't want to take up too much time rambling, but and you guys are going to see my face enough today as it is. Uh, but I'm going to go ahead and step away for a bit and let Jonathan introduce himself, tell you a bit about Fool's Gold, the Dragon Lords number one, and have him read an excerpt from the novel. So Jonathan, you have the floor, camera, whatever you you, All right. you have it. You can read. <laughs> so yeah, so um gonna be reading from uh, figure out my camera. Dragon Lords Fool's Gold, uh, uh book one of the Dragon Lord series, uh, out by Orbit. Um there's three books in the series. Um and I like to say that it is about idiots making bad decisions. Uh, uh primarily um set in the land of Condora. Uh, the first book deals with Will, a farmer, um, and four people he meets, um, two about which you'll be meeting today, Let and Belur, two mercenaries, um, Firkin, a drunken idiot, and Quirk, a, uh, a traveling scholar and magician, and their accidental attempts to overthrow the dragons who rule their kingdom. Um, so yeah, I'm going to read from the, first the second chapter of the book, um, where you meet Let and Belur for the first time. Shouldn't be any introductions needed beyond that. So, um, yeah, just going to get right into it. So, chapter two, Let and Belur. The problem with adventuring, Let reflected, was that it was a crap way to make money. She wiped wet from her brow. God's ex mountain pass. Were mountains supposed to be cold and snowy? What was she doing sweating her ass off this high up? But she knew the answer to that question, and she didn't like it. Instead, she turned again to the more nebulous arena of finance, specifically how it intersected with her chosen career path. Adventuring had seemed such a good idea when she started out, punching monsters for a living, receiving riches and glory in return. And there really was glory. She knew at least three people who had had songs composed about their endeavours. Four, if you counted the ballad of Fairthroat the Manhole, but that one didn't end with Fairthroat in possession of all his anatomy, so the glory thing was questionable there. And yet, even assuming you got a song, and that then someone managed to reconcile the sweaty, bloodstained social deviant in front of them with the shining, idealized figure they'd heard songs about, you were still left with the fact that any riches coming your way would be the result of a significant amount of violence and personal harm. And violence and personal harm had a way of spiraling out of control, very far out of control, that refused to look back over her shoulder. Instead, she concentrated on the fact that she was ready for a steadier lifestyle. What about a bakery? She said out loud. Her travelling companion looked at her for a very long time. Belur was approximately eight feet tall, lacked any body fat whatsoever, and owned a tail. He was an Analesian, one of the lizard men from the western deserts. His yellow eyes regarded her narrowly from a broad, elongated face. They peered out from between large brown scales, thick and knobbly, like fist-sized stones. No, he said after a pause. His voice sounded like rocks grinding. He shook his head again slowly. No, he said again. The Andalusians were a hard people. Let had heard a rumour that their language had forty onomatopoeias for the noise a man's head made when it was crushed beneath your warhammer. She had never quite managed to find the right time to ask Belur if this was true. You just say no automatically now, Let objected. You didn't even think about it. So far, Belur had rejected swordsmithing blacksmithing, farming, horse-breaking, and exotic dancing as potential career changes. To be fair, Belur's skill set was largely limited to hitting things very hard with a hammer, 
But that's why the smithing ideas have been so promising. To Let's mind, he was simply being obstinate. Look, she said, pointing ahead. See that? The crest of the mountain pass was finally approaching. Beyond it lay the Condora Valley, fresh and vibrant and fertile. That's a fresh start. That's a new page in the story of our lives. We can be anything we want to be once we cross that line. Anything. Buller nodded. Yes, he said. Let's face this up. Finally, progress. Finally, the thick skull oath. I am wanting to be a mercenary, Buller finished. Let groaned. Oh, yes, she said, because that's working out so well. The wind shifted briefly, blowing up the mountain rather than down. For a moment, the smell of smoke and carrion filled her nostrils. She groaned again. Eyes forward, a fresh start, a new beginning. Belur strode on. Then, on the crest, the liminal point, the start of something new. He paused. He held out a fo thick, four-fingered hand toward Let. I'm not having the hands for baking, he said. I'm having no nimble fingers. You could just knead the dough, Let suggested. Belur required a more solution-oriented outlook, in her view. Then she was on the crest of the pass beside him, and the whole of her future was spread out before and below her. The Condora Valley. The sun was low on this early edge of autumn. Its glare was still partly occluded by the mountain peaks around her. It sent flat shafts of light streaking across the trees that flowed down the mountainside below them. Distant, at the valley's floor, the forest broke open into fields, a patchwork of farmland that stitched its way up the valley's far slope until rock and scree took over at the hill summit. In this light, the slow, sluggish river con marking the valley's base was transformed into a line of white fire. It was a world to itself, the valley, a microcosm. She could see castles like children's toys, lakes, a swamp, and even something that could conceivably be a volcano. It was all small and perfect from this distance, like a picture painted into a book, nothing spoiled by the proximity of reality. Look at that, Let said again. She pointed, we can be anything we like down there. Belur shrugged. I'm liking being a mercenary. What about a butcher? Let suggested, a momentary flash of inspiration striking her. You could still kill things if you were a butcher. Cattle. You'd be perfect for it. A swift blow to the skull, each one. Belur cocked his head to one side. Butchery is being mostly knife work, he said. I do knife work, Let said. Her fingers flickered and a knife appeared there, skittered away, appeared in her other hand. You just slaughter cattle. Belur thought about it more, the slow gearwork of inhuman thinking. Would the cattle be fighting back? He asked eventually. Let had to take a moment for that one. Cattle? She asked, double-checking. Belur nodded. Would they be being much of a challenge? He said. I'm not wanting to go soft being a butcher. Let blinked once, twice. The question did not go away. Cattle is fucking cows, Belur, Let clarified for him. They do not fight back. They eat grass, get their heads caved in, and then become delicious meaty snacks. Belur weighed this. I'm thinking I still prefer being a mercenary, he said after a while. Let resisted the urge to grab Belur and shake him, though in fairness that was mostly because she couldn't really reach his shoulders, or shake him even if she could reach them. Instead, she pulled the heavy bag of gold coins off her waist and thrust it at him. It was the only half-decent thing to come out of the disaster that lay behind them. Look at this, Belur, she said. 
This is anything we want it to be. New lives, better lives. Belur's eyes narrowed. Is it also being wine and whores? He asked. Let shook her head. You are a foreigner from a far-flung land. You are meant to be exotic and interesting. Belur shrugged. I'm being eight foot tall and I'm possessing odd syntax. That is being interesting. Let considered whether to stab him in the crotch or the eye. She was saved from the agony of indecision by a small screaming figure abruptly launching itself from a hiding place behind a rock and flinging itself at her. A goblin, she realised. It flew through the air and seized the purse from her hand. Mine! 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 It screamed as it landed and tore off down the path away from them, short legs pumping furiously. I got it! I got it! It's mine! The goblin got exactly one additional step farther before Let's Dagger caught it in the back of its neck, neatly slipping between two vertebrae and making a mess of its cerebellum. The goblin was dead before it hit the floor. See, said Bula, you are being a good mercenary. You should be playing to your talents. My talents have caused a lot of human misery, Let said, walking over to the goblin and plucking the knife from its back. The body resisted giving it up. She disliked killing goblins. They were weirdly sticky creatures. She always had to spend forever afterwards cleaning bits of them off her blades. She bent to pick up the purse, only to have it snatched from behind, from her, from before her, as another goblin hurtled out of its hiding place and took off across the path. Buff's hairy ballsack, she cursed. How many of these bastards are there? Perhaps learning from his slowly calling companion, this goblin did not scream. He just legged it. Unfortunately, attempting to leg it when you are only four foot tall is significantly limited by stride length. Buller was not similarly restricted. His warhammer descended. The goblin stopped being a small, ugly humanoid and instead became a small, ugly bloodstain. God spit, Buller, careful of the damn purse. It is being fine. The lizard man rolled yellow eyes behind nictitating membranes. Let sighed heavily. She might as well berate a rock. Instead, she turned her attention to their surroundings. Woods had arisen almost as soon as the path started to descend. A thick tangle of trunks and underscrub. It smelled damp and loamy. Too many hiding places. I hope you spot a pattern developing, she yelled to however many other goblins were left lurking around them. You take the purse, you die messily. Even goblins should be able to understand that sort of equation. Apparently not. A bush rustled. Then the goblin appeared, shrieking like a kettle on the boil. It grabbed the purse and hurtled off, still screaming, all flailing, gangly limbs. Let sighed. This one was faster than the others. His torso was a tiny round ball suspended between long, knobbly legs and arms. Still, it was not faster than her dagger. The blade appeared again in her palm. She took aim. And then goblins fell like rain. They were in the trees, ten, twenty, maybe more of them, all screaming, all leaping, all armed with jagged, rusting knives. Let loosed her dagger. It never made it to the one with her purse. Instead, it caught a goblin in the neck as it leapt into the blade's path. The screaming creature was pinned to a tree, went still. God, spit on all of them. Then her sword was out. She cut the legs out from beneath another goblin, even as it tried to land on hers. Belur's warhammer whirled. Bodies impacted against its broad head fast enough that the sounds blurred together. Let leapt into the space it opened. A goblin lunged at her. She turned the blade, slit its throat, but another had circled behind her, lunging for her hamstrings. Belur brought it down his warhammer in a hard, vertical arc. A goblin disappeared beneath its head. Let wondered if the Andalusians would describe the sound as more of a squish or a splat. She caught sight of the goblin running off with her purse. 
It was 20 yards away now, the distance increasing rapidly. An ugly little head bobbed about on its undersized body. Not a large target. Another dagger appeared in her hand. She breathed slow, cocked her arm. Something hard and sharp impacted against the spiked pauldron protecting her right shoulder. Her arm jerked sideways. The knife flew wide. Cursing, she whipped round. Her sword blade buried itself in a goblin's neck. Blood sprayed. It kicked. Died. Let try to drank, yank the sword free. It did not come. She shook the blade. The goblin flopped and spasmed, but refused to come loose. He was a corpse puppet on the end of a single, very sharp string. She cursed again. Why in all of the hallows were goblins always so damn sticky? Two goblins, sensing her slowness with the overburdened blade, circled to either side of her, closed in. Her sword shook. The corpse flopped. She cursed. Then, at the same moment, the goblins leapt. They struck identical poses, great bounding arcs, knives clutched in both hands behind their heads. That wondered where they had learned the move. It had to have been learned. The symmetry was too perfect. Did goblins run combat drills? If so, they shouldn't. The move told her everything that was about to happen. It took half the fun out of combat. She pivoted on one heel, brought the other up and round in a short, sharp circle. She caught one of the goblins in its midriff, and as it flew through the air... Its ribs cracked, the angle of its flight changing, becoming shorter and more terminal. It slammed into a nearby tree. The contents of its skull became a red smear. Let had already moved on, using the momentum of her kick to whip her goblin-encased sword around. The second goblin slammed into its dead compatriot, sheathed the protruding sword tip in its gut. It screamed, jerked, and remained firmly lodged on the blade. Oh, God's piss on it! The sword, now effectively a club made of small dying creatures, was too heavy to be practical. Well, four more goblins were closing fast. Belur's hammer descended. One, two, three times. This time, it was definitely more of a squelch sound, Led thought. Belur caught the fourth goblin around the neck with his free hand. He held it aloft. It kicked futilely at the air. Led looked around. The goblin with the purse was gone. She was surrounded by dead and dying bodies. She looked up to the pantheon above. What had she done to piss them off? She said her prayers, paid her dues at temples. What sort of divine comedy had they devised for her? Assholes, all of them. She turned on the dangling goblin, another of her daggers in her hand. The blade was short and bright, catching the sun as she advanced. The goblin was momentarily distracted from Belur's fist on its neck. You, she said, pointing at the spasming creature, you are going to literally spill your guts. And as you do, you are going to tell me everything. Where in the hallows is my purse? Thrasher, the goblin gasped. Thrasher took it, ran with it. The goblin was the pot-bellied thing, its skin the same dirty greenish-brown she associated with the gastrointestinal aftermath of one of Belur's Analysian curries. Its eyes were large, round, and dark, although there was the chance that Belur's squeezing was altering their natural shape. I don't need his god's hex name, that advanced with the dagger. I need his location. Needed the money, the goblin continued gabbling, for the down payment had to have it. Let closed her eyes. She didn't want to know. She just wanted to know where the cursed creature with her purse had gone to, but... Down payment, Belur rumbled. The goblin twisted to look up at his captor. For bakery, he squeaked. A divine, pissing comedy. Bakery, Belur repeated. He looked at Let. She refused to meet his eye. Oh, yes, the goblin nodded, trying to smile through his evident pain. We think there is a big market for goblin pastries. Very delicate. Melt in your mouth. We have very nimble fingers. The goblin took a break from vainly trying to peel Belur's fist open to wiggle a hand at him. The fingers were indeed long and slender. 
Balur nodded sagely. That is being a good point, that, he said. Nimble fingers are being important for baking. He looked at Let significantly. Oh, give it a fucking rest. Yes, the goblin jabbered, too preoccupied with its own survival to pick up on basic social cues. You see, you see, but money, you see, money is the problem. Need to have money to buy a bakery for the down payment. High startup costs for bakeries, very high. And the Merchants Guild, they won't lend us the money. Goblins have shitty credit record, they say. Cultural and historical activities not conducive to large-scale financial loans, they say. But we need money to make money. Financial trap, we say. Plutocratic bullshit, we say. Racist fucks, we call the Merchants Guild. And so they kick us out. And now we are here, engaging in cultural and historical activities not conducive to large-scale financial loans. For your purse. For our bakery. He stared at them wildly, trying to stretch his squished face into a toothy, pitiful smile. Let close her eyes. Why the hell do I still not know where this horse on Thrasher is? Why do I not know where my fucking purse is? She was shouting. This was her new start, God's piss on it, her new beginning. The goblin swallowed. He is, he stuttered. He, he is, he started again. Oh, just get rid of it, let snapped, her patience finally reaching its breaking point. I'll track the other one down and find my purse myself. She could see the trail of broken branches and matted down grass leading away from the skirmish. It would be an easy enough trail to follow. Belur gave a satisfied nod and the muscle in its arms bunched. The goblin screamed. God's Belur, not like that. He'd been about to crush the goblin's skull. Let pulled at her hair. We are trying to be better people, remember? You are trying. Blur was belligerent. Just throw it away and I will track this arsehole thrasher. You can kill him instead, all right? Blur sighed heavily. Fine. With a casual sweep of his arm, he flung the goblin away. Unfortunately, the parabolic flight of the goblin intersected directly with a tree trunk five yards away. There was an ugly cracking sound. What was left of the goblin slumped to the ground. Let just looked at Belur. He opted for indignance. What? What? He rolled his eyes. That was being a genuine mistake. Let sighed as she looked around her. Dead bodies. Blood and carrion. Crows already circling in the air above, their calls long and mocking. A new start. As she stalked deeper into the woods, one word seemed to sum it all up. Shit. And that is about as classy as that book gets. <laughs> <laughs> I have to agree. <laughs> yeah. That's what I'm doing. <laughs> I have to say, uh, you know, I know John Banks narrated the first two novels uh, of the series, and unfortunately, the, the third novel didn't get the treatment. Have you ever thought about uh, narrating the third novel yourself? Um, I have. It is mostly um, been a time issue. Um, oh. Work and uh, three hours of commuting every day, and the family have. Uh, but he and I have very similar accents, which is pure. Yeah, but, um, yeah, that's what I say because I, I can yeah. hear his blur in your. Uh, in, yeah, yeah, in your... no, it's it's yeah. We both have the the BBC English, so. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I got gotcha. it. Yeah, I I, I had found that curious because you know we did a podcast episode several months yeah. ago, and uh, and just you know hearing you talk through that, I was like, man. He has he has a definite Banks vibe going on. I was like, he could totally yeah. do that. But I, I figured, you know, timing is is definitely an issue because I mean, it's pretty pretty good, you know, thick book and you do yeah, have yeah. a family and a job. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's fine because I do have I have an unpublished novel I've been thinking about um, putting together, but as a as a podcast. But it's just like my free time is at like ten thirty at night, and my 
the the will is not strong at 10 30 p.m it's just like i could record a podcast or i could just play video games for the next hour and then yeah you know that and then you know you've got to find a you know soundproof place to do it and not disturb anybody else and yeah i can i can imagine it's it's pretty difficult finding the time if you're not like full-fledged audiobook narrator you know, yeah, yeah. have you ever thought about going through acx i know they uh they do like I, share. I have it's i mean so the reason there isn't a third book a third audiobook is really the financials of the, the, the whole situation so it's figuring out if it's worth the investment i think it would be worth the investment if i did it myself um yeah. but again it's just it's just finding the time so um but okay. yeah, retirement plans so yeah <laughs> I mean, you've got it. You've got a trilogy. Out. I mean, yeah, well, yeah, yeah. Be- <laughs> uh, you know, on top of your your other previously released novels, so I mean, it's it, you know, you're not you're not doing too, not doing too bad. I mean, there's there's several people that can't even say that they have one novel published. So. I'm keeping myself busy. So. <laughs> well, uh, just thank you so much for for coming on, and taking the time to read. I know you uh, you're going to be up again on a panel mm-hmm. in a few hours. Come so. on, well, I've got a break. Got a break. Yeah, you got to break for But uh, but thanks again, and everybody that's listening. Yeah, so you can uh, actually l- put a ebook link for Fool's Gold in the com- not comments, but I guess the synopsis yeah, or yeah, whatever yeah. of the video. So yeah. if you want to go grab a copy, feel free. Um, and then you know the, the other two books are there as well. So feel yeah. free to check it out if you enjoyed his reading today. And Jonathan, I'll see you in a couple of hours. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Really appreciate Thank it. You. Absolutely.